I hope it's great where you're at. It is wonderful where I'm at. I'm actually sitting outside, and it's a wonderfully blue sky. We're going to go through one of my favorite books in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Subscribe to Solomon as the author. Start out with all is vanity. The earth abideth forever, but sometimes they think well, maybe not really according to science. They say that eventually the sun's going to get really large and then be take over the uh, earth's orbit and burn it up and all that. But who knows? Actually, science has been proven wrong. Here in this chapter, the pessimism is the feeling that I get. There is nothing new under the sun. This, as explained by the preacher, a king, a son of David. Is a、uh, probably Solomon. That's who is subscribed to as being again the author most likely. The preacher devoted much time to the seemingly meaningless of life. He was given much wisdom, but quote, for in much wisdom there is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sol- sorrow. The preacher desires to discover what people should do in the days of their lives. That's the whole reason for this book. He seemingly accomplished all that could be accomplished in life, and asked, quote, "What can the mad do that cometh after the king? What can the what? It's not the mad. I can't read my writing. <laughs> But obviously Solomon's king, and he's like, 'Is this all that there is?' And that he too is in vain. All that he accomplished, he'll leave to another who may be a fool, and then undo all that he did." Well, the preacher seems to conclude, though, that the act of working is good, but in context, we need to enjoy life as well. Three dot three one through three eleven are the most famous passage in the book, and everybody's aware of them. I'm sure to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. These are all a consequence of mortality. The preacher recognizes that quote, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. We should take death seriously, so that we use the time we have under the sun wisely. Oppression is wrong because it prevents people from spending their time under the sun wisely. One way is to embrace friendship. I got this from the section that we are not to live our lives alone. Now we go to chapter five. It is better not to make a vow to God than to make a vow and to not pay or act on it. It is better to fear God than to try to impress Him with the works. Seven reasons not to chase the goal of getting rich were presented. So here, first one,、uh, it's endless. They always want more. People care for rich people only for their wealth. The only good of wealth is for the owners, beholding to them with their eyes. So all that they do is that they just look at their Piles of gold. Increased wealth brings increased stress with regards to, say, performance of like investments and so on. The wealth could be lost in one or more bad deals. We shall take nothing of our labor when we die. And then finally, pursuing wealth throws us out of balance. We pursue idols instead of being content with what we have. This leads to a failure to enjoy blessings. I think it's Paul who said that you should be content with what you have. Funerals are important reminders of the reality of death and the shortness of life. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Evil exists, and we should not let the evil make us so angry that it overwhelms us, such as in today's political climate. And therefore, we should—it can prevent us from enjoying life. 
And I see that so much. It seems like politics almost has become a religion unto itself. It may seem like this is the only age of bad times, though, but it wasn't. It isn't the first. It won't be the last. And the preacher goes on to discuss wisdom, but seems to emphasize that it is, if it it is difficult to achieve. Quote, I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. End quote. Wisdom can be found in relationships. He seeks to know the preacher who is the wise man. He laments evil in the world, quote, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sins of men is fully set in them to do evil. So he's trying, kind of struggling with, well, people who are bad,、um, it, they don't have like punishment immediately. That's what I get from it. It goes on to say,、um, shall not it shall not go for the wicked, well for the wicked, because they do not fear God. We should continue to enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry is actually a quote here, without wishing that evil did not exist, because evil is always here. The preacher realizes that the wise and the righteous are in the hand of, both in the hand of God. The righteous and the wicked both face the same fate. In that, under the sun, we all end up the same. We all die. We need to take life and death seriously. Live life to the fullest, but with morality. Have sexual relations only with your wife, your spouse. Many things are not under our control. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to mention too: is that Ecclesiastes is written almost as advice from man to man, a man to a man, or two men. But obviously, it applies to women as well. It's so so one section where it says have sexual relations with only your wife. Well, it's the same way. Only with your husband as well. It's implied that it is obviously your spouse. Many things are not under our control, and we do not know when death will come. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is much better than strength and weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much good. Sometimes wisdom can fail us, and we act like fools. A fool can also be full of words. We cannot trust our wisdom to prevent bad things in life. We have to trust that is all in God's hands. It is important to invest and save wisely. Quote: For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So it's okay to have the resources here to try to keep yourself from evil. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you can hear, that's my little Chihuahua Pomeranian mix in the background who's barking out the window at a person walking by. The preacher concludes that we should enjoy life, recognize it as short, and fear God. For God will bring Every work into judgment, quote, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, and that's the end of Ecclesiastes. And then we move to the Songs of Solomon. Now, there's not much here. I mean, it's a celebration of love and romance. And if I were to break down Solomon just from a high level, just summarize it, I would say that it, it's a it's a it's a mirror to me of both, of course. Romantic relationships, but also、uh, the church's relationship, the Christ and the church. So Christ and the bride of the church. The celebration of romance and love is written by Solomon again. It is a reflection in my mind of Christ's love for the bride. It has a, a chiastic structure, and you kind of recognize this a little bit with um, um, the the back and forth, the back and forth. I had to look up what that meant actually, because that was in our the notes, and I'm like, I'm not. Sure what that means. 
ultimately it's a, to me it's a beautiful poem that it seems to me that it flows better in king james version which is the um translation that i'm reading this year which is if you've ever gone through king james it's the closest to um the original um but it's also very difficult to read because it's, it's old english so that's why i rely upon the notes a lot and we'll talk a little bit about the notes here it begins with the shulamites the this is the wife i guess or the girlfriend the the lover her love for the shepherd and and here that would be the husband or in the in the in the analogy between the christ and the church the shulamite would be the people and the shepherd would be christ shepherd comes from the for the shulamite shulamite quote behold he cometh leaping upon the mountain skipping up the hill she is faithful to the shepherd it's like you know when like romance is young young people have romance it's like it's like it's exciting it's energetic it is all consuming she searches for the shepherd at night but didn't find him so she goes to the town and found him he came to her bed and it is their wedding night and they seal their covenant of love the shepherd celebrates the consummation it is a very very happy sounding passage this is chapter 5 uh, but then the shepherd leaves and the shulamite looks for him she is lovesick and describes in a dreamy way a dreamy being like a, a an older way of describing someone who's infatuated older relatively speaking older like 60s and 70s um not older as in old english king james um The Shulamite finds the shepherd and the shepherd gushes over the Shulamite's beauty. To me this section it speaks again of ongoing affection, affection and commitment past the initial infatuation in the wedding. So you know you, you you have the initial infatuation then you get married and then you kind of settle into this this life and it can either be it's what you make of it. It can be boring and you become basically roommates or you really you really interact. You really enjoy each other's company and you compliment and you grow from each other this is the deepest part of all relationships and some don't decide survive this now or they or even navigate through it again i'm drawn to the parallel between christ and his church's bride because how many start strong in the faith you know they're all gung ho and then don't get to or traverse the deepest part of cuz baptism isn't the end it's the beginning it's it's how we live for god after we're baptized how we how we make Christ our the center of what we do the song ends then um with the two returning home so i mean it's a it, it's a nice nice back and forth uh and then we move into Isaiah and Isaiah is also a wonderful book it is it is so much it it talks about the coming of the messiah and It's also though sometimes a difficult read. I'm learning. <clears throat> Judah has fallen away from God when Isaiah starts. God is disgusted with the burnt offerings and other sacrifices, presumably because they're hollow without uh, repentance. Lack of repentance would lead to destruction, so a purified city could emerge. In the last days, quote, the the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow from it the people will walk in god's ways and beat their swords into plowshares nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more judah has sinned so god has removed his presence from them the people will be judged and will hide in cave and they hide in caves 
for fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Chapter 3 begins with, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of the host, doth take away Jerusalem from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. God is removing, or rather, what he's removing what he provided because the people trust only in themselves. An unqualified person will be forced to lead because no one wants to lead. The people still do not hide their sin. Quote, the men shall fall by the sword, indicating that the battle will kill many, taking potential husbands from the women. Then Isaiah 4, quote, in that day, the branch of the Lord is beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped from Israel. And I'm wondering, is this the first mention or pointing to the Messiah? Those that are left in Jerusalem shall be called holy. And upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and a shining by a flaming fire by night. That's another quote. And if that sounds familiar, it should be because that was prevalent in the whole Exodus, the 40 years. The, the people were led by day by a, by a cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. Now, chapter 5 is both a poem and a, and a parable, parable of a vineyard of wild grapes. And, and when, when I was reading this, I'm like, I know of another parable. I, I think it's in Matthew, um, the parable of the vineyard. Um, I actually remember doing a short play um, where I played the vineyard owner in the play. And uh, that was interesting. That was the first time that I really remember learning about that parable. But this one's different. And the vineyard is to be land to waste and weeds will infest. So this, think about that the vineyard that had been planted and all this given and then people didn't take care of it. And this is how it relates directly, this is the parable, to how God gave the promised land, but Israel wasted that gift. And what follows then are six woes for Israel. Woe to those who brought up land, who bought up land. So... It, the land was given, but then people were profiting off the land, which is the way I took it. Um, woe to those who, quote, follow small, strong drink that continue until night. They don't regard the work of the Lord. Woe unto them that draw in iniquity with cords of vanity. So vanity is not good. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Again, that's we see that a lot today in today's world much as this has been happening for a while woe to those who think that they are wise by their own means in other words that they're smarter than or they're dismissive of god and then finally the sixth woe returns to talking about strong drink and that's it for this week we're going to continue on in Isaiah. Isaiah is a rather long book, but it's fascinating. And until then, I hope you have a great week.